want to talk a little bit today about uh, reclaiming your divine identity by breaking free from mind control. Kind of a touchy subject. So, so let's talk. Let's get in and talk about this. I want to talk, kind of a kind of a odd subject for me to get into in a way, but it's what I've been thinking about all week long. And that is this idea uh, that our minds can be controlled, that most of us uh, at some level are plugged into a system of mind control and don't even know it, don't even really necessarily understand how that mind control is operating uh, and how it's triggering us. And I'm kind of picking up off of what I did last week. If you watched the last video, I talked about uh, the conscious mind, the voluntary mind, um, talked about the involuntary mind, the subconscious mind. And then I talked about superconscious, that which is the mind of God, or what we might call in Christianity the mind of Christ, that which goes beyond personal consciousness and how we can have uh, access to that by aligning the conscious mind with the subconscious mind and then realizing that very often the superconscious comes in through the subconscious mind. And um, and I want to pick up on this a little bit. I want to talk about some, I don't know, just kind of some spiritual concepts. I'm kind of winging it. This morning, um, I'm able to see the comments really well. So I see, good morning, Dawn, hey, Mariana, Jeremy, Robert, Kim. If I'm not calling you out, I apologize. Um, just not seeing you. Sometimes I don't see everything that comes up. It's like I'll get a, a stream of them, and then they go away, and I don't see them again. But anyway, uh, so I want to talk about consciousness, and how does this work within a group, and how does this work within an individual? One of the things that is interesting to me in the various different spiritual communities that I'm interacting with now. It used to be I was just in one camp, and it was Christian. And it wasn't even just Christian. It was the, the camp that was Christian that believed like my camp believed. And that was primarily the charismatic, word of faith, uh, prophetic movement camps. Those were the only ones I really had dialogue with or that would uh, allow me to give any input. <clears throat> Since I've been through this deconstruction process and things have changed, I have uh, met people from all kinds of different spiritual paths, uh, th those that choose to follow more of the path of the East in some version of yoga. Now, yoga isn't just exercise to make you look good <laughs> or make you flexible. Uh, the word yoga means to take a yoke, and the idea is to yoke up with God. So when I'm using the term yoga, I'm not even talking about stretches and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about more kundalini yoga meditation. You know, I've, I've, I've dialogued with people who teach that, and we had a lady that came into our uh church and did a whole weekend on kundalini yoga and meditation and uh, other people that may follow sort of a new age path or other people that follow Wiccan, um, definitely some people who are into magic and deep into magic, uh, deep into the occult, uh, just I've, I've been really allowed over the last few years to um, kind of interact with those groups. And one of the things that frequently comes up is this idea of the ego we talk about the ego. Now, ego is a troubling word for me because it can mean so many different things to so many different people. One of the problems when we have when we communicate on abstract concepts, any kind of abstract concept, but when we get into the metaphysical, when we get into um, spirituality, we are definitely talking about, hey, Jessica, it's nice. Welcome to our church. It's, I'm glad you're part of it. Uh, but when we get into spirituality, we start using terms that may mean something totally different to me than to you when I'm saying it. Or if someone else is saying the term, it may mean something totally different to them than what it means to me. But because we're only using that term and not describing it, we can think we have communicated when, in fact, maybe we haven't communicated at all. Because maybe I got I noticed this because I started talking about the need in one of my messages a while back before COVID and before the shutdown, I started talking about the need to establish a strong ego. And people tripped on that because a lot of the spiritual community that's uh, you know influenced by various different teachings, they understand ego in a completely different way than what I was meaning it. And so they're trying to get rid of their ego. They're, they're, the ego is the enemy. If I can get rid of my ego, then I can experience oneness. I can experience non-dual consciousness. I can get on the path of service to others. I can ascend. It's almost like obliterating the ego or getting outside of the ego is the goal for a lot of spiritual paths. And it is. And I'll explain that in a minute, at least my understanding of it currently. I'm not trying to be an authority on any of this. But uh, when I'm using the term ego, I'm using it from a psychological <clears throat> perspective. And that is a sense of self or a uh, your I, your self-concept. Now, 
a, a lot of us, admittedly, if you're honest, a lot of you that listen to me, a lot of you that are going to watch this, you were probably steeped in a Christian path, some kind of Western evangelical, charismatic, Catholic, Christian path, and you're coming out of that. When you come out of that, most people, most people don't devote to that path or go into that path if they don't have a innate desire for spirituality, an innate hunger to know God, uh, an innate desire to connect with community and to love your neighbor. I mean, the, for all of its trappings, for all of its garbage, for all the things that it can do to people, uh, the, the Christianity, preserving the core teaching of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that resonates with some of us. That, that appeals to people. So you're leaving Christianity, and you want to get into this other spiritual path. And the problem is, when you leave the path, you're in a forest. So the nice thing about a path is someone has trodden it before you, uh, someone has worn it down, and you know that it leads somewhere. You know that there's a destination. So if you're out in the woods or you're in the mountains somewhere, if you stay on the path, uh, if you stay on the path, then you know that you're going to at least get someplace. So for a lot of people who deconstruct or leave Christianity, they leave that path because they realize that path isn't getting me where I want to go. Uh, for me, it was almost like a circular path. I was just running around in circles. Uh, if I could be honest, for me, I had um, exhausted everything that I could get in this lifetime from that spiritual path. And so it's like, okay, it's time to find a new path. Or the way I've related it, to use a different metaphor, the way I related it to other people, I was climbing a ladder uh, for 20-some years, only to get to the very top of the building, get to, the, I'm sorry, to the very top of the ladder and realize it's leaning against the wrong, the wrong building. This isn't where I want to be. This isn't where I thought it was going to take me. So we leave the path, but the problem is we find ourselves oftentimes in this wilderness or we find ourselves where there's just trees. Now, anybody that's ever been lost in the, the, the wilderness, lost in the forest, lost in the mountains, uh, you know that can be a very frightening experience. And people can literally... Uh, go around in circles and not even know that they're going around in circles. They can think that they're making progress, but they're just doing one big circle or they're doing a wind or a figure eight or something like that, and they're not understanding why they're not coming out of the woods because there's no path. There's And so that's why you need a compass. That's why GPSs are great now because there's no direction. And so if we're honest, a lot of us left that path kind of experience that sort of disorientation of being lost in the forest, spiritually, so to speak. And then found some things, because you can find stuff on the Internet, find stuff on YouTube, gurus, teachers, uh, books, Amazon, all kinds of stuff, right? <clears throat> and we start trying to forge our own path. And a lot of what's out there right now about the ego will grab onto but now, here's what we can do. We can think that we've become an expert at something when we've only been at it for a few years. I was, I became an expert in the Bible. I became the, an expert in charismatic Christianity, Christianity in general, because I studied it for 30 years every single day. I practiced it for 30 years every single day. So imagine how difficult it is to leave something you're an expert at for something that, gosh, I don't know a lot about. But one of the things that I did do <clears throat> was uh, in the early 2000s, like like this deconstruction, I've kind of always been on this path. I've just hidden it better. Because <laughs> in the early 2000s, I was reading Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. That's not a new book. That book came out 20 years ago. I was reading Greg Braden 20 years ago. Uh, Joe Dispenza hadn't come out yet. I was studying meditation. I was working with meditation. I started meditating in 2000, pretty much on a daily basis. I was doing chakra meditations back then. I was uh, <clears throat> exploring my inner self and my inner world. I was uh, trying Zen forms of meditation, although I didn't realize it was Zen at the time because it was called Christian contemplative prayer, but it's based on the same principles. And in Christian contemplative prayer, they talk about the ego as being the false self, and you're trying to transcend the ego. Eckhart Tolle talks about the ego. One of the things, one of the things that he says about the ego is it's the part of you that gets lost in time, that gets lost in projecting your consciousness to an imaginary future or clinging to a past, the, the delusion of the past, the fantasy of the future, the past that's already gone. 
the future that has not yet arrived. And so his pathway to awakening is to live in the now, to be present in the moment, to be conscious, be grounded in your body, be conscious, watch your mind, uh, listen to the pain body, just be present with it. Lots of really, really great stuff <clears throat> there. So that idea of the, of the ego is the ego is the mind that gets lost in time. Uh, in a lot of the Christian uh, mystical stuff and Christian meditation, the idea of the ego is the false self or the self in separation. It's a term Leanne Payne uses. Um, Thomas Keating, I read Thomas Keating 20 years ago. Um, talks about this false self and talks about the spiritual path of meditation as a means of stripping away the sense of other, the self in separation. I hope I haven't lost you guys yet. <laughs> so I'm just going to say I'm not a newbie at dealing with the ego. Plus, I have a psychology background. When Freud talked about the ego, he talked about the sense of self, the, the centered, the, 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 the sense of self that was in between the superconscious, which was your conscience, and the id, which was a part of you that wanted to um, just act like an animal. So the id was the animal nature and the superconscious was the mechanism to keep the id in check and the ego was somewhere in between. And so for me, the ego is a sense of I. It's a sense of yourself. And for me, it's completely inescapable. Uh, you can have moments where you lose yourself and become one with something, whether it's... Uh, uh, looking at a sunset and you just become total awareness. Or whether it is uh, a mystical experience that you have in meditation where you just feel this sense of oneness with God and you lose yourself, you lose sense of time. But And I'm, I'm not just saying this from my experience. I've looked at the literature <laughs> uh, down through the centuries from mystics and people that have devoted whole lifetimes to this, and they'll tell you the same thing. You can't really escape yourself and enter into non-dual consciousness for any length of time and function in this world. You can't do it and function in this world. And here's the key. Because to function in this world, you need to have a sense of I. You need to have a sense of yourself, I. To, this is why in the East, in the East, you have yogis or people, you have these temples, you have these Buddhist temples, uh, you have these places, these retreats where people can go uh, to just meditate the whole time and be part of a community that's just experiencing this because they experience this loss of self and this loss of separation and this non-dual consciousness and they want to abide there. And the reason they want to abide there is because they believe in reincarnation and they want to get off the wheel of suffering or the wheel of life. So the idea is that you are stuck. The whole idea of karma from the East. Now, we've modified it and moderated it and changed it, so it means different things. But in the East, in the Eastern religions, the idea of karma is is that you are stuck in this cycle of rebirth, that when you die, you come back and live this life again because you have attachments to this life. You have unfinished business, so to speak. So the soul has, let's say the soul falls in love with somebody and that somebody spurns them, and they get to the end of their life, and they're sitting there thinking, if only I would have lived my life like this, uh, you know, if only I would have chosen that lover instead of the lover that I did, if only I'd chosen this career path instead of that career path, if only I'd done things differently here. And so that soul wants to return. And so, and maybe the other soul gets sucked into their karma. That's why they talk about karmic connections. So maybe this other soul is ready to take off this one you fell in love with, but oh no, you drag them back in. And so now you're stuck going through this cycle again. And the idea is that as long as you stay in this physical world, you're going to continue to have suffering. You're going to continue to experience sickness and death and loss. And you're going to make mistakes every time you come through. So you're going to have new karma that has to be uh, fixed and healed. And so the whole goal from that Eastern philosophical perspective is to lose the I, to lose the sense of self, because it is the I that keeps you coming back over and over and over again. So if you can lose permanently in this life through meditation, through a very dedicated path, through a path of renunciation, of attachments and things in this physical world, love relationships, all that stuff, and just be pure awareness here, then you get off of the wheel of life, you get off of the cycle of life, and now you've reached nirvana. So if you can reach nirvana now, then you don't have to come back to finish your karma. So the whole idea of meditation then 
is to get to that place so that you can get free from the wheel of life. Does that make sense? So it's not about engaging in life and doing stuff. It's about the exact opposite. It's about withdrawing from this world, withdrawing from the physical, and trying to ascend and get up so that once you get up, then you're done with your karma and you're done with the cycles of life, which is why in the East they say that meditation is burning the seeds of karma. Uh, Okay. Now, anybody that's more of an expert on this is free to jump in on the comments. If you see this, challenge me, educate me. That is my current understanding of how those things work together. So there's kind of this retreatism because because they recognize, this is the point I'm trying to make, they recognize that you cannot live without your ego. You cannot be pure awareness or live without your ego without that kind of a retreat. So that is sort of the Eastern path if that makes sense. Or we could call it, even in the West, the right-hand path. And uh, uh, some people call it that. And so, I, you know, i got to be honest. I, I, I watch people sometimes embrace this real enthusiastically. We're going to ascend. We're going to lose our ego. And they'll come at you. And you can always tell when people are coming from a seasoned place or a relatively immature place because the immature people will try to correct you. Well, that's just ego. That's, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. They're, they're kind of just as zealous for their new path as they were for Christianity. They just kind of traded one, uh, I'm right, you're wrong path for another, I'm right, you're wrong. They still have the mentality and the attitude and the hubris of, I'm right, you're wrong. They've just changed, uh, information <laughs> buckets. They're just, they're just feeding you out of this information bucket now instead of this information bucket. And we all do that. I did that too. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones or saying that it's, that it's wrong. It's just part of growth. It's just where you can recognize immaturity versus seasoning. Um, does that, does that kind of make sense to you? I'm going to get into this mind control thing here in a minute, but I want to, I'm going to lay out this whole sort of concept of the ego. So people are getting started at it and they're just two, three, four years into it. Uh, good luck. Good luck living without your ego. Good luck trying to live in non-dual consciousness. Um, come back to me in 10, 15, 20 years and let's talk. Uh, and that's okay. And I hope you're able to do it if that's what you want to do. Just realize you're going to have to retreat and withdraw. You're not going to be able to function if you expect to live in that state of mind and state of being all the time. And... Uh, and so then I, I, want, I want to ask, is there another path? Is there another way? Is there a different way of looking at this? That, that neither one is right or wrong, but something that works better for us in the Western uh, world uh, than maybe uh, <clears throat> something that works in the Eastern world. And remember, if you're into reincarnation or soul contracts or whatever, you chose to come here as a Westerner, not as an Easterner. Um, <clears throat> and so, in fact, there is. In the Western magical traditions, the Western esoteric traditions, uh, there's a totally different concept. There's there's some some things that are similar, <clears throat> but the concepts are a little bit different. And uh, and that is this idea that that, that I want to throw out there of <clears throat> developing a strong sense of I, a strong I, a very strong ego, a very strong ego. And I'll bring this together where I think what what a lot of spiritual teachers currently are trying to say, but I think they get confused because they get stuck on the word ego, or at least for me they do. I'm going to say it in a different way if what somebody else is saying works for you. Maybe if I can say it in a different way, other people will be able to receive it, or it'll make more sense to you. But you have to have this strong sense of I. So even in union with God, even in union union with God, in the Western world, uh, the concept of God is Trinitarian, primarily within Christianity. And I like the concept of Trinitarian because it is union without assimilation. Union without assimilation. So assimilation would be, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a drop of God. Let's use an ocean analogy. I, my consciousness is one drop, and it's the goal of the drop to return to the ocean. So when the drop of water goes into the ocean, it's assimilated back into the ocean. You cannot tell that it was there. Uh, <laughs> a different kind of union would be more like, okay, so this isn't, this is the PG-13 version, might be more like sexual intercourse, where there's, there's union taking place and there's rapture and there's a shared experience. But there is, the reason it's a shared experience is because there's no loss of individuality. There's still an I that is involved. So there's union with distinction or union without assimilation. 
And I think that's the God project. I think that's ultimately what God's after. I think, I think that's ultimately, at least for me and my path, the goal is not to lose my eye and be assimilated into the divine so that I have oneness with non, total non-dual consciousness, but rather to be able to share in the life of the divine and be able to share in the, in the, in the union of the universe without losing my center of consciousness, realizing that I am a defined, anchored center of consciousness. And no, no matter what I do, I'm always going to take that center with me. Listen, I think differently than I did four years ago. I feel differently than I did four years ago. I act differently. I talk differently. I do different things. My personality is completely changed, but my eye is still there. My, that center of consciousness is still there. If I decide I'm going to go the, the right-hand path, I'm going to join a monastery in Tibet, and I'm just going to meditate all day long, and I'm going to try to escape and work out all my karma and escape the wheel of life, I'm still going to have an eye that I have to deal with. And incidentally, the guys that try to do that, the people that try to do that, read what they say about the night of the soul, the dark night of the soul, or the night of spirit, uh, because you're in for that. Because night of the soul, oftentimes, or night of the spirit, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm speaking a language that you don't understand, they would say in the pathway to union with God, you would have to go through this really dry time, this really time of just boredom. Well, no shit, bored. You're not doing anything but meditating. <laughs> and I don't think we were created for that. I think God gave us our minds, gave us the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, access to the superconscious mind, because there's something here that that God wants to happen. And, uh, and so it's reversing it. Rather than saying, oh, I'm a spark of the divine that came from the divine and inhabited this body and now I'm stuck in it and I want to get the F out of here and trying to break free from that. Y you see what I'm saying? No, rather, there's something in the physical material world that we came here to, to impact, to make an impact, to bring a change. Rather than from trying to get down here up, we're still trying to get what's up there down here to bring it down. And, and that's where the Western tradition, I think, is more appealing and has more advantages in some sense to the Eastern tradition. But that requires a very strong I. In other words, this path says if you're going to experience union with the divine and not completely lose yourself, not be assimilated so that you can still enjoy it, so you can maintain that being a center for the divine presence, then you must, you must develop a very, very strong, very powerful ego, a very strong and powerful sense of I. And so, in this way, then, in this way, then, this pathway leads to a different kind of liberation. This doesn't just lead to a liberation from everything in the world. This leads to a liberation that allows you to be in the world, but not of the world. That allows you to be a star and a light that is shining in the world, but is not controlled by all the thought patterns of the world. That This is a pathway that says... Uh, that you are going to become so liberated and so powerful in your own divine identity that you are going to be able to do what thou wilt. You're going to be able to do your own will. Now, that doesn't mean that you just go around like an all-powerful genie and just act like a jerk and just do whatever feels good in the moment. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, in, in, it's very much the opposite of that. It is being able to free yourself from all of the illusions and deceptions of what you think you really want, of what you think is your true will, to be able to be free from all the things that are dominating you and preventing you from doing your true will and going into the very center of your being, going into your very heart, going into your very self as as your best guidance and your best leader and, the, and your best creator and realizing that in that center and in that core, is the divine spark, is the divine self, is the son and the daughter of God that you are. And then finding out what does that self desire to do in this world? What is the true desire? What is the authentic desire? What is the authentic will and the authentic intention of that part of you? And then being so free from the mind control and the powers around you that you can move forward powerfully knowing things like the laws of attraction, knowing how to tap it, how to use 
conscious mind, subconscious mind, superconscious mind, to manifest your will, to manifest your sense of being, to create the person that you want to be and create the life that you really want to live and have the impact here that you really came here to have, powerfully living as your own star from your own center, realizing that every star has its own path or its own fixed point and it is not influenced by the trajectory of other stars or by the light from other stars. But you are fixed, you are centered, you are powerful, and you are letting your light shine. And that, I think, is an achievement that is worthy and compatible with a Western tradition that is every bit as spiritual and every bit as worthy of pursuing as any other path that may be out there. All right. I feel like I'm preaching to you. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> this freedom to... <clears throat> because here's what I would suggest. One of the problems that they have in this other sort of path, spiritual path, is I mentioned it, you get bored. Uh, and one of the things they talk about is being weaned from all desire, even the desire for God. That you go through a dry season, that you get what's called divine consolations, that you have these experiences with God where you feel raptured, where you feel bliss, where you feel joy, but then you're going to go through this season that they call the night, that the mystics call the night of the spirit, where God is going to withdraw even the consolations from you to wean you from the desire and the need for the consolations. By spiritual consolations, I mean, again, rapture, presence, that kind of thing. Now, I do believe we can go through seasons like that that are divinely mandated or ordained so that we are not controlled by the need for spiritual consolation. See, it's, it's one thing to see the goal as escaping spiritual consolation altogether because it's lesser than God. It's another thing to say I need to be weaned off of my addiction to spiritual consolations. My, that's where attachment uh, comes in. That's where when they're talking about ego attachments, that stuff comes in. So, so I'm going to shift for a minute and talk a little bit about ego attachments. So when we talk about getting free from attachment, that's one of the things that's in every spiritual path that's worth its weight, that's worth, that has any substance to it, in my opinion. Um, then we have to get free from attachments. And so people think of attachments as materialism, um, cars, houses. Maybe if you're really deep, people uh, don't want to be controlled by relationships. Realize that people will come and go. They'll change. They'll die. They're impermanent. So I don't get too attached to relationships. But we're thinking about everything out here. There's another form of attachment that is difficult in our mind. And these are the attachments of where we put our identity, where we put our sense of self, how we understand ourselves to be. And I'm going to venture to guess that for most of us, if you really embrace the spiritual path, if you, if you embrace this path that I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about having to be so brutally honest with yourself that you sell, you, you sell yourself. You tell yourself the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Without judgment. And you're able to see the truth about your own illusions. See, when you commit to truth, then illusions start to evaporate and vanish away. And so, you know, I haven't been through this process many times, but recently in the last four years, where I had attachments to Christianity... I had attachments to what it meant to be a pastor. I had attachments to being a leader. I had attachments to my spiritual gifting. I had attachments. I had needs that were being met and fed by by that. Again, I, I you know, I, I came from a a family that placed a premium on social achievement, social currency, how you were seen in the community, how you were seen in the society. Of course, that's reinforced by a lot of other stuff. So that to be a good person is to be someone who is known and honored in the community. Uh, so I'm kind of born into this, but I'm extremely awkward child. Um, you can kind of tell if you look at my videos, my left eye doesn't move a lot because I'm blind in my left eye. But I'm very left-handed. So I had a hard time with hand-eye coordination had a hard time with athletics. I had to wear a patch when I was in school over my good eye. 
So kind of hard to learn to to do PE with a patch over your eye, and you're wearing glasses. And I struggled with that. I struggled with math, had a learning disability there, so it was very difficult for me to achieve academically. Um, I tried music, but didn't really have the talent for that. Other people in my family have the talent for that. So, so there wasn't this sense of honor. There was often a sense of dishonor, being mocked, bullied, rejected, sitting alone at lunch, all the way through school. Very, very shy. Coming to Christianity, find out I can teach, find out I can preach, find out I have these psychic abilities where I can move in words of knowledge and words of wisdom, divine healing and all this stuff. Pretty soon I have a self that's being honored. I'm living true. And watch this. I'm living true to my family values. And I found a context, a cultural context in which I could do it, in which I could do it well. And I had success only to wake up and realize that what was driving me was not the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the desire to do the will of God, although that was present, don't get me wrong, but beneath that, what was driving me was this need to excel and this need to achieve that was programmed into me very young because of the family that I grew up in. So the re the reality of this is that I manifested that life because, watch this, this is where I'm getting into my topic, because of the mind control of my family. Because of the seeds that were put into me that if you're going to be someone of significance, if you're going to be someone of worth, if you're going to be someone of value, you got to be the boss. you got to be the, the someone that people recognize. you got to be someone that people honor. So I found a way to do that. I found a way to do that. Now, was that true to my core self or was that not true to my core self? That's what I had to ask myself the question. <laughs> nothing wrong with seeking honor. Nothing wrong with seeking exaltation or being in your most exalted state. Don't get me wrong. But the question becomes, is that my core self? Is that coming from my core self, from my soul, from my eternal self? to do the will of my eternal self, or was that a programming that I received from my family that I eventually was able to work out through my unmet, that, that I was drawn to because of my unmet needs, but I was eventually able to manifest the programming that was seated in me. So was I doing my will or was I doing my mom and dad's will? If I was doing my mom and dad's will, then I'm subtly, subconsciously caught in a trap of mind control. Do you see it? Now, let's take this even further. Because within Christianity, in order to achieve that sort of honor that I was receiving in certain circles, you had to do it a certain way. You had to think a certain way. You had to believe a certain way. You had to live a certain way. <clears throat> and you even had to do the preaching a certain way. And the Pentecostal style. Man, I just, I just love that style. So you see so many preachers that, that are just memes of each other. They're just mimicking, they're just copies of each other. So many churches that are just copies of each other. One guy breaks through and is successful with an innovative way and everybody comes along copying him, trying to break through and be successful. So then, is there anyone in those circles that is doing their own well? or the will of the one that sent them, if you want to put Christian language around it, or are they doing the will of the community? Are they stuck in a groupthink sort of mind control that I've got to wear a suit, I've got to preach a certain way, I've got to do it for 45 minutes, I've got to use scripture, I've got to bring it to a crescendo, I've got to uh, do... You get it? Do it a certain way. And if you do it all, oh, that's how we do it. Oh, yay. You know, right on. But if you show up in a way that's completely contrary to the expectation of the community, uh, dressing differently, looking differently, saying it differently, maybe you sit down instead of walking around huffing and puffing and preaching. Maybe you sit down with your iPad and just sit there and talk. Oh, we don't like that as much. So now you've got these other memes. So you're conforming yourself to those memes in order to get a need met that was planted in me as a child. And each time along the way, I might have to sacrifice my true will. I might have to sacrifice 
a part of my true self. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I'm sacrificing a part of my own divine identity for the sake of what I'm trying to get from the community. Now, if I'm doing it consciously, if I'm not sacrificing part of my own divine identity, but if I'm sacrificing, if I'm conforming to the will of the people in a certain congregation or context in order to be who they want me to be, but I'm doing it consciously and I'm doing it from my center and I'm doing it without being driven by an unmet need and it's my choice really coming from me and not from the group, then, so you can have two people. You can have one person who's doing his will from his center and divine self, walking in his divine identity, doing the exact same thing that I was doing out of my childhood programming and out of my unmet needs. And we're both doing the same thing. You can't tell the difference, but it's coming from a completely different place. This is why... Going back to the analogy of the path, the path can be, it's difficult. You need to have a path. You need to have something to anchor to. You need to have something to guide you and lead you so you're not just wandering around, not knowing where you're going. But at the same time, you've got to be careful that we don't just put on this external form of stuff, doing the same things and not even being aware that it can be coming from a completely different place and one can be producing life. And quite honestly, the other one could be the same form, the same pattern, the same formula, but producing death because it's coming from a different place. It's coming from a different space on the inside. Does that make sense to you? Um, so waking up, waking up and awakening consciousness, doing your own will requires then, requires that you break free from mind control. To understand that there are groups that are invested, there are groups and there are people, perhaps even entities, disembodied entities, things that we used to call the devil or demons, that are invested in implanting attachments, suggestions, forms, narratives, ideas, principles, emotional triggers inside your mind in order to trigger certain responses in your choices and your behaviors so that you believe, 100% believe, that those choices and those behaviors are coming from you. But... Your choice, your behavior has been predicated upon how that group or that person or that entity is going to benefit off that choice. And so they fire the trigger that's implanted in your brain to make you make the choice for the purpose of harvesting something from you rather than doing something to serve you. They want to harvest something from you. I can't tell you how many, and I, I never bought into this. I used to make me so angry, but there was there is a common saying in pastors, leaders, conferences, and when pastors talk amongst themselves, where they talk about it's time to shear the sheep. And when they're talking about shearing the sheep, they're talking about you, and they're talking about the offering. <laughs> in other words, it's time for you to get the benefit uh, off the sheep, and they would talk about ways to shear the sheep. Now, nobody's going to come at offering time and say, hey, get ready for your shearing. Uh, they're going to do it in very subtle ways to teach you, train you, condition you in order to produce that response for their own personal gain. That's not just religion, guys. Coca-Cola does that. Anything with a brand, anything with a logo is working these same principles. Your school, school athletics, school spirit, the school spirit, see, I just said it, your mascot, your pep club, the band, the cheerleaders, uh, 
the sporting event, all of that is designed to create a certain energy and a certain branding to plug you in to the meme of the school spirit, to, to, to plug you into that. And you might even find yourself um, going against that school spirit, and you'll experience real rejection. You, you can experience real rejection. What's wrong with you? How come you're wearing that school's colors? I'll give you a funny example, and then I'm going to be done because I don't want to keep you too long. I mean, you're getting the picture, right? I just want to awaken you to this because, and then I'll give you some solutions too. But So you're only going to get this if you're from Pueblo. So I know I have a few people that are from my hometown, Pueblo. We have this high school rivalry that goes back, uh, I think, almost a century, if I'm not mistaken a football game rivalry that's called the Bell Game. And they have a bell that's like the trophy between these two teams. And the one team wears red. That's their school color. See, another way of putting a meme in there, another way of putting subtle mind control. And the other team wears blue colors. And Pueblo is a very, you know, sort of homegrown town. <clears throat> people eventually, a lot of people don't leave. A lot of people who do leave eventually come back. So you got a lot of family, a lot of generations of family who went to the same high schools. And so I had this friend that came from East L.A., was in high school. And uh, all these people were talking about the bell game. So they would have every year this bell game where these two schools would come together to see who, who gets the bell. And, and they would... Um, if the red team won, then they'd say the, the bell rings red. If the blue team won, then the bell rings blue. I hope I'm getting this right, Pueblo people, because I didn't go to either one of those high schools. <laughs> I grew up in the county. And so this, this, this friend of mine comes from East L.A., and we also have this bakery in town called Schuster's Bakery. Anybody from Pueblo knows what I'm talking about. Schuster's makes the best, like, sugar cookies and Long John Donuts, and uh, they're just, they, they're, they're if, if you want the best bakery in town, you know, if you want Pueblo culture, you got to learn about Schuster's. So she's new to this thing. She's just starting the new school. It's the fall. She doesn't really know anything about the bell game, but she kept hearing about Schuster's. And so it was around the time of the bell game, and during the bell game, Schuster's will make these sugar cookies, and they'll make them for the different schools. They'll make blue sugar cookies in the shape of a bell and with blue frosting and stuff on it, or they'll make red sugar cookies with the red frosting and stuff on it, and so she goes into Schuster's finally to buy these cookies to take them to uh, like a before school event or something. And, and uh, yeah, see, Dawn's from Pueblo. She said, once a wildcat, always a wildcat. Wildcats are blue, right, Dawn? So my friend, ironically, was going to uh, uh, Central as well, Central High School, the wildcats, and blue. Like, But all they had were these red cookies. That's all they had left because all the blue ones were bought up. So she buys these red cookies, right? And she takes them to her school event. <laughs> Around the time of the bell game, not being aware of the bell game. And she's got these red cookies. And she's offering, you know, her friends these red cookies. And they're just giving her dirty looks and looking at her crazy. And she's like, what's going on? Why are they looking at And she said, finally, somebody walked up and said, I'm going to tell you what I think of this cookie. And takes the cookie and throws it on the ground and stomps on the cookie. Now, she has no idea about the rivalry or why they're stomping on her red cookies. All she knows is these are supposed to be these great Schuster's cookies. How come everybody's rejected my Schuster's cookies? <laughs> and now this guy's stomping on my cookie. Now, that's a funny example, but that's the power of a meme. That's the power of a, of a group think, right? That <laughs> instead of just being able to enjoy this cookie as a wonderful Schuster's cookie, that if it was Christmas time, I wouldn't think anything of it. But because it's around the bell game, now I'm triggered. I'm grabbing it. I'm throwing it on the ground. I'm stomping on it. You, you get it? And so all those things get planted in us and can begin to control us. Now, those are just subtle little things. But now think about where the power, think about where the real power, where the real juice, where the real benefit comes from manipulating a group. Now you're talking about real power structures. Now you're talking about religion on a grander scale, religious organizations that are benefiting and profiting off of that, dovetailing with government organizations and politics. And most people during this time, during this season, every four years, 
from about June to November, we lose our minds with politics. And we are programmed to think by the various talking heads of the various news programs that we watch, we are programmed to think that this way is the right way, this candidate is the right candidate, but here's the other part of the programming, and anyone that thinks like them is the enemy. Anyone that thinks like them is what's wrong. If they would just think right, if they would just do right, if they would just vote right, then your life would be okay. That's the message that they're sending you. Your life is not going to be okay because of this party over here or this group over there. Now, there, there's truth that, that the power structures that we vote in, they have a controlling power over our life. But I talked about this last week. I said, if, if you know, maybe... There's a few people that their core values and who they really are aligns with one of the two-party systems in the U.S., totally and completely. But for most people, we think of ourselves as centrist because we don't perfectly align with one party or the other unless we've been completely brainwashed by the talking heads who have implanted into us thinking. So this is where attachments, this is where attachments begin to come up and begin to come to the surface. You know, everybody got so angry at Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee during the, the national anthem. And I get it. I understand. If I had family members who fought in wars, who died in wars, who served in the military, um, and I certainly did uh, and have had those family members. And I certainly was raised with a meme of national patriotism and that that national patriotism was represented best by... Saluting the flag. I mean, I was taught early on, you stand, you put your hand over your heart, take your hat off, all that stuff. And I believe in showing respect and honor. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, like with Colin Kaepernick and the taking a knee. People are more committed to the symbol of freedom than the freedom itself. See, part of what they were fighting for was freedom of speech, right? And that freedom of speech, by the way, that's not just so you can talk on Facebook or YouTube. Man, most Americans on the right and the left would benefit from a constitutional course because the freedom of speech and the right to bear arms and your Bill of Rights, the right to a free, pe- free press, was geared with one thing in mind and one thing only. And that was to prevent, to prevent a governmental takeover of your right to be a free thinker. It's there to prevent nationalism and patriotism at a toxic scale, not support it. Your right to bear arms is not so you can shoot an intruder that comes into your house. Your right to bear arms (laughs) back then was you could have a musket just like the military had a musket so that your leader could not come and force you to behave and think and take your property and all that stuff. You don't have the right to bear arms. Those of you who want to go after the Second Amendment, why am I doing this? I have no idea. You don't have the right to bear arms. If you did, you'd have nukes. If you did, you'd have tanks. We have reduced this down to a argument about gun control, and the powers that be are firing emotional triggers and memes in order to manipulate you, and you don't even know what the Constitution's about. Free speech was about the right, and this is where Colin Kaepernick comes in. Free speech was about the right to not have patriotism shoved down your throat. That you could actually speak out and critique the government that you were a part of so that you would not be oppressed by the groupthink and the mind control of the nation. The Bill of Rights was not there to inject steroids into nationalism and patriotism. The Bill of Rights was there to protect you from a nationalism and patriotism that took away your right to speak your mind, even if your mind disagreed with the powers that be. And so what happens then is we become more offended at someone kneeling at the symbol of the freedom and don't become offended or even realize that perhaps we should be more about preserving the rights that that flag actually symbolizes rather than the symbol itself. Okay, I'm off my political rant. I'm off my political rant. <sighs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, so that's just me being, that's just me being passionate. But let me say something. Let me say something. I used to be totally conservative. This is where I'm gonna, I'm bringing this home. 
You have to play around with your own thinking. You have to be willing to challenge, even to the point where it feels blasphemous, those programs that have been put inside of you. You want the Muslims to do it. You, you want the extreme Muslims. You want the terrorists to do it. Let me tell you something. The terrorists that, 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 that perhaps, you know, perform acts of terrorism against non-Muslims, they believe that they're benefiting their families. They believe that they're fighting for the cause. They believe in jihad. Was that their real will? Is that their real star, their real divine self? No. That's the nationalism and religious programming and family programming, and that's how deep and powerful it can be. But we have got to realize it's not just somebody else. It's not just somebody else. Oh, it's just those Muslims. They just have the wrong programming. We're Americans. We're doing some of the same things, but we have the right programming because we're Americans. Think about that. So you have to be willing to challenge some of that. So if you really want to be free, one of the things, I'm going to give you some exercises. If you really want to be free and see how this works, take an issue that you feel passionately about and study and listen to the other side until you can completely defend it with as much passion and convincing as the side that you hold dear. Doesn't mean you have to adopt and change your loyalties and your behaviors. I'm talking about freeing your thinking. Go to the opposite side. If you're pro-life, then go to the pro-choice issue and look at the values and the benefits and listen to pro-choice arguments and, and try to build an argument that's pro-choice against pro-life. If you're pro-choice, go the other way and go to the pro-life side and look at it and think about it and try to formulate an argument against it. Aaron, why are you telling me to do this? Because I'm, because it'll free your mind. Because you'll begin to see how it's all just memes and it's all just mind control and people are harvesting off of you. Whether they're harvesting votes, whether they're harvesting money, whether they're harvesting donations. And don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to vote. It's not wrong to give donations. I'm going to ask for one in a minute. It's not wrong to give money or to buy products or to feel allegiances towards your school and have school spirit. But if you do not sort through what is all of this, the product of. That like Dawn's putting up there, the bell rings blue. She's the product of Central High School. And I know Dawn well enough to know that she's aware of that. And she's not going to fight somebody over a bell game. At least I don't think so, Dawn. <laughs> but the same principles are in place. And so many things that cause strife and division with ourselves and with other people that we don't allow people to be free thinkers. We don't allow people to have a free voice. We don't allow people to structure relationships differently, maybe, than the way we think that they should be constructed. And so what I'm saying is, is that one of the, one of the keys to developing a strong eye is to be able to navigate this polarity and go all the way over to this polarity and then all the way over to this polarity to begin to find your middle ground. Or, one, one path, this is a radical path, very radical, but they, they talk about taking a reverse role. If you're a pacifist, join the military. If you're a, a, a prude Puritan, um, go join a, like a, a swinger club or organization. Um, in other words, go to the other extreme. Uh, or if you're, um, uh, and I'm using those two examples as like to, for shock value, because that's what it's got to be. It's got to be that shock value, because until you feel that shock, you can't feel the mind control can't recognize the mind control. And so what they would say is, is go to this extreme. If you're over here, you're a uh, pacifist, go join the military and learn to fight and fight for your country. If you're all about military and fighting for your country, go join a pacifist organization and protest against war. Uh, why? So that you take on a reverse role. So you take on the exact opposite role of what you've been programmed to be for the purpose of finding your true will. Because, because you may go over all the way over here to the pacifist group and say, that doesn't work for me, but more than likely, you're going to lose a lot of that programming that you got being raised in the strong patriotic military family. You see what I'm saying? Or if you're very puritanical, um, and you have all kinds of taboos and judgments around sex, and you go over here and you join this, this group over here, and you participate in wild sex and all that kind of stuff, then you might get some liberation there, and you begin to find what is your true will, what, what is authentic, what feels right, what's, what's really coming from you, rather than coming from the groupthink or the mind control around you. And, and without dealing with the mind control, you can't, you can't reclaim strongly. Your, uh, your true self. 
and you can't do your true will, and you can't develop a strong eye going forward. And you're not the magician of your own life. You're not the creator of your own life. You are some other person is a magician of your life, and they're benefiting off of your choices rather than you being the magician and the creator of your life and you benefiting off of your choices and the people around you and the people that you want to have benefit. Now, here's the thing. When you develop a strong eye, a strong sense of eye, a strong center of divine consciousness, you really do begin to get free from all that selfish stuff that you used to do. You really do because you don't need it anymore. I don't need the accolades. I don't need somebody telling me, attaboy, uh, because that younger me got healed. That me that was being bullied, that me that wasn't fitting in, got healed. So I don't need that stuff in the community anymore. I don't need to be that person that's looked up to or whatever anymore. So now I can do it really for the benefit of the people without the trappings of doing it for the benefit of myself. Do you see the importance of getting free from this? So I want to save time for this. I want to just release uh, a word over you, those of you that want to participate in this. Um, I'm going to deal with a warning. You may be shocked to find out where the mind control has gotten into you. Um, but also, it's, it's essential to your freedom. Um, so much more I can say about this. I've gone way, 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 way longer than I wanted to. So let's just take a few minutes. I want you to just close your eyes wherever you are, if you're able, if you're driving, operating heavy equipment, for God's sake, use some common sense and don't, don't do this. Save it for later. But if you're at a place where you can relax, take some deep breaths. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to find your center. I want you to think about your heart center. I want you to think about your solar plexus. I want you to focus right there in your solar plexus on a point. I want you to imagine a point right there, a point of light right there in your solar plexus. Close your eyes and take some deep breaths, focusing on that point, realizing that that point is the center of your divine self and the center of your divine consciousness. And right now I come alongside you and I release the power of the Spirit. I release the power of the Holy Spirit over you right now to awaken your consciousness, to free you and liberate you and set you free from mind control, from religious mind control, from uh, group th uh, thought uh, <laughs> group thought patterns, where you have bought in, where you are be awakened in those areas and allow right now the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Let your soul speak to you as you focus on that center, as you focus on that divine point and that divine center. Let your, let your spirit speak to you. Let your divine self speak to you. Let your soul speak to you right now. I just release the energy and the power of the Spirit of God into that place inside you right now. That you be strengthened with power and might in your inner person. That you be strengthened with power and might in the center of your consciousness. And that the light of God and the light of your own divinity, your own divine identity begins to, to, to break forth and that those patterns of mind control that keep you from reclaiming your true self, your true will, your true identity, let them be broken off of you. Let them be like shackles and chains that fall away. Let there be an expansion of consciousness. Let there be an elevation of consciousness. Let there be an ascension of consciousness that rises up within you as you wake up into your own freedom, into your own wonder, into your own bliss, into your own divinity, and you are set free from those patterns that have been controlling you and manipulating you so that you can find your true will, your authentic desire, and your true spiritual path. And let it be so right now. Amen. God bless you. Uh, it was a wild ride today uh, for me. I hope it was okay. I know it went a lot longer than I wanted to. Um, I was getting lots of comments. Hopefully most of them were good. I didn't have a chance to, uh, to look at that. Uh, but throw out some questions, whatever. One of the things I want to do going forward, I'm going to do a meditation class. Uh, I still haven't figured out the best way to do that, so I welcome input from you guys to do some foundations of meditation because that will help you to awaken this, recognize your own thought patterns, and break free, break free, break free, break free, to kind of provide some tools along a spiritual path that are not dogmatic, that don't tie you into a belief system or a doctrinal statement, but still gives you a path. So one of the things I'm thinking about is doing a class on meditation. I'm just not sure the delivery system on that. If you're local and you're interested in getting back together and doing something, even in the midst of you know the pandemic, we'll make sure it's safe. We'll, we'll do it in the best way possible. Um, but if you'd like to get back together and do like a meditation class, uh, something like that. I'm also working on a program right now um, that I'm calling The Path of the Spiritual Warrior. 
the whole, this whole idea of the spiritual warrior is to fight against these memes and these control patterns in society so that you can fight for your true self, your authentic self, your true will, so that you can return to yourself and, and live and manifest a life of joy and abundance, sink down in yourself and be comfortable. But that requires breaking free from all those patterns of control. So I'm going to be rolling that out, I'm still working on the content, putting that together. Uh, be rolling that out. I've also thought about doing it some mentoring groups where we could do like some Zoom groups or something and have some group discussion and talk about some of these areas and, and just do some coaching from where I'm at and what I've, you know, learned and experienced over 30 years being engaged in spiritual practices, the last four or five really heavily in different spiritual practices, but still maintaining the foundation of what I have. So if you're interested in any of that, please let me know. If you have suggestions or ideas, I'm open to that. Uh, want feedback. I want to know what the needs of this community and this group is. Um, and then I do have a link at the top if you want to give, if you've been blessed, if you've been helped. So many of you have given, and it's helped us so much. I work a full-time job, uh, but it doesn't pay great. <laughs> and I walked away from what I had. So I'm still... Um, we, we still have the 501c3, we still have the organization, we still have a building, we still have the bills that go along with that building and insurance and all that kind of stuff. And with COVID, we've been shut down and not meeting. So uh, all the donations go to the Awakening Center. Don't come to me personally. Um, so if you want to make a donation into the Awakening Center because you believe what we're doing and you'd like to help us to be able to do some more stuff uh, in the future and keep doing what we're doing, then there's a link there at the top. Uh, invite you to give. And again, thank you so much, those of you that have been giving so faithfully. So God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. If uh, unlike me, you're off tomorrow. Uh, I hope you enjoy your Labor Day.